This is Dr. Holly Lucille's Mindful Medicine. Here's Dr. Holly Lucille. Hi there, and thank you so much for tuning in, spending part of your day with us here at Mindful Medicine. So today, guess what? I know on this show, we talk a lot about diet, about nourishment, about food. We're going to be talking about feeding your soul. Very important topic, because listen to this. According to the Center for Disease Control, approximately 91%. Okay, let me just repeat that stat. 91% of women are unhappy with their bodies. And because of that, they resort to dieting, right? Whatever that is these days, because it's a lot to achieve their quote unquote ideal body shape. While more than 70% of us of, of women over the age of 20 are considered overweight or obese. All right. This means that most of us don't know how to eat in a way that fosters a healthy relationship with food. You know, I've talked before about diet. If you look it up in the dictionary, it actually means habitual nourishment, you know, sort of like how, you know, on a, you know, how as a habit do you nourish yourself? So, well, this has done wonders for the diet and supplement industry, and that's a bazillion dollar industry. It's left an emerging emerging generation of women feeling certainly frustrated, uh, bloated, and on search for something that will finally set them free from the prison of chronic yo-yo dieting. So to talk about this entire subject, I have Carrie Pollock. She is the author of Feed Your Soul and is the founder of Nutritional Wisdom, which is a thriving practice based in Austin, Texas. We're going to talk more about her, but right now I'm just going to bring her on the show. Hi, Carrie. Carly, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so pretty important uh, topic. I, for example, let me just, and this is just one example. Uh, I'm prepping my patients actually early because I'm going on a, I'm hiking the Trans Catalina Trail. So on Monday, and I, I was going through initial paperwork uh, for one of them. And, you know, honestly, when I, when I, I have this huge section where I talk about stress and uh, kind of get into that just to really, and she says, you know, it's bad. And she says to me in her paperwork, I can't remember a day in my entire life where I wasn't anxious or stressed over things as big as a death in my family or as small as food anxiety. Um, and, uh, and I think to some people, food anxiety is, is fairly big, but as, as you, you know, as we stated in the stats, as far as, far as the CDC is concerned, this is a big issue for folks. Yeah. I mean, for me, uh, I, my personal path is that I struggled with anxiety as a young child and found food to be a comfort. And when I went through puberty, I started to gain weight and poor body image is an immediate connection to an obsessive relationship with food. You'll find no one person that is obsessed with food or has food anxiety or feels like they have a really unhealthy relationship with food that also doesn't have a poor sense of body image. And yeah. that's what started the path for me is is recognizing that stress was at the root of all of my food woes. You know, and I love it. I mean, and I was talking earlier to a guest, uh, you know, you are now a certified clinical nutritionist, a holistic practitioner with a master's degree in holistic nutrition. You know, you you check the boxes when it comes to certifications and degrees, 
But I think what informs you the most is your experience. And uh, I love that. So what brought you? Yeah, tell us a little bit more about that story to bring you to how um, how you wrote Feed Your Soul. Well, you know, I really wrote the book for women just like myself. I thought about where I was 15 years ago and the struggles that I had. I, I actually recently found a, I was a nutrition undergrad. And just like you said, you know, you could have a PhD in nutrition and eat burgers and fries every single day. Just because we know better doesn't mean that we have the mental tools to do better day after day. And that's what creates permanent change. Consistency is really the elusive, you know, magic that we're all looking for. We can diet, we can cleanse, but can we wake up with an authentic desire to do it day after day? And it's interesting, as a nutrition undergrad, one of our classes, we had to keep a journal uh, around our health for the entire semester. And I, op- I found it the other day, and I opened up and read it, and it brought tears to my eyes. It was just so mm. sad. I mean, I was so, you know, hard on myself and mean to myself and obsessed with food, and then I would punish myself at the gym if I've eaten too much. And it was just, you know, really impacting my quality of life. And I felt like in the nutrition world, so many books have been written, too many books have been written. But when it comes to a book that that provides readers with the, the mental tools to achieve anything they want for their health and for their lives, I felt there was a space and that I needed I needed to write it. Yeah, that's great. Ah, that's, you know, when it's in your bones. So. You know, you talk about the inner work being the most important piece of weight loss. Why is that? Our our plate is a reflection of our inner state. And people don't necessarily, we're not taught to connect our choices with food to our emotional state. And we're not even taught to connect our emotional state to our thoughts, that incessant mental narrative, that ongoing, never-ending stream of thought. We live in a culture that doesn't really place an importance on spirituality and and tools to help us separate from that. So the inner work is about changing our thoughts and beliefs that ultimately drive our behavior instead of getting caught in the diet chaos, which diets are behavior modification. You go on a diet and it's, the rules are modifying your behavior in some way. They're saying, eat this, don't eat that. At, you know, move this way, don't move this way. And while there may be many diets out there that are logical and sane and the diets that are telling you to eat more plants and <laughs> to eat unprocessed foods and to limit sugar and fried foods, I mean, this is just sensible thinking. But it's not enough for us to do that outer work of changing our plate. We'll never do it consistently unless we look deeper and see what is driving me to know I should eat the salad, but I choose the drive-through anyway. That's the inner work that needs to be done. Yeah, it's a it's a big one because you know you're right. Food is a lot in this society. It is certainly nourishment, but it also is celebratory. It is a uh, it can be used as comfort. You know, I like to sometimes use food well all the time as medicine. Um, it is a lot. Uh, and to open up your mind, uh, I love it because the show is called Mindful Medicine. It, it's really important to use your mind and then get in there and do that inner work. I think when it comes to food, and you mentioned that you like to, you, you're hoping to neutralize the word diet, and I love that because 
you know, I think I said it in the intro. Um, it was, I was, uh, I thought, what does the word diet mean anyway? Like I, and I love to look up words, just be like fundamentally, like the things that we use all the time. Like I, I looked up healthy once, like what does healthy mean? I didn't, I was underwhelmed with all of those, those definitions for sure. Um, but when I looked up diet, I, I thought it was great because I'm like, okay, this is, uh, you know, it says, you know, habitual food and uh, drink, like how do nourishment, habitual nourishment. That's what it means. And I thought, oh boy, if I could maybe reframe that with some of my patients and talk about the nourishing side of diet, maybe we could get a little bit more traction with this darn word. Yeah. You know, I feel like the way we use the word diet, everybody's on a diet. Maybe you're on a really crappy diet right now. Maybe you're on the no diet diet, even people who don't think they're on a diet, then you're on the, I eat whatever I want diet, but (laughs) diet is just a term for how you eat. So everyone who eats is on some sort of diet. And, you know, the second we say the word diet, we think restriction and then we want to rebel or we want to pendulum swing between that food prison and reckless abandonment. And we need to neutralize it because There are so many people listening today that need to be on some sort of diet. For me, I need to be on a gluten-free, dairy-free diet. I need to moderate sugar or else I get candida overgrowth or I get sick or I gain weight. And so if we don't neutralize the word diet, then the people who feel like they need to be on a special protocol, which I have news for you, is 99.9% of us. And they feel like they're restricted or being punished when they're on a diet. If a diet is just the way we eat and each of us have, you know, unique needs, then to go on a diet or to be on a diet, it it just those the energy around it neutralizes. It's so important because right now you have this anti-diet culture happening and it's the, you know, diets don't work, just eat consciously and love yourself and So much of that is positive, and I do love so much of that message, but it falls short for so many of us who, in order to keep our body at the utmost vitality and health, need to have some loving boundaries around food. And so I'm not, you know, pro-diet. I'm not anti-diet either. I, I am pro finding the right diet for you and then using a spiritual practice to neutralize any restriction you feel so that you can create an authentic desire to do what needs to be done day after day. Yeah. Okay. Well, you talk about food karma <laughs> in the spiritual realm. No, tell me, tell me more about food karma. So food karma is a term that I created because I recognize that, you know, we as humans send out a vibrational frequency when you're really happy and grateful and and positive, you almost feel, you know, you could meet someone and not know them, but within a few minutes, feel their energy and you go, I like this person, but I don't know why I don't even know them. And vice versa, meet someone and everything seems fine, but there's an energy about them that just repels you. So, you know, using that example, we know that we emit a frequency or an energy vibration and foods are the same way. Foods that rot and spoil or, um, you know, die the quickest are foods that have the highest vibration. They have the highest energy for us. They're the healthiest for us, like a avocado, which will rot before our very eyes. 
And, you know, you'll notice the healthiest foods are foods that rot very quickly because they have a very high vibration, a very high life force, and they spoil. Well, food karma is that what energy and emotional state you're in is what you attract. And I recognize this because when I leave yoga class and I'm, you know, buzzing, I'm craving a smoothie, I'm craving a salad, I'm craving a green juice. I've never left yoga or a workout and said, oh, I really want a hamburger and and some fries. But when I'm PMSing or when I'm exhausted or I'm frustrated or I'm stressed, that is when I say, okay, I need quote-unquote comfort food and it's typically the heaviest, least energetic, least vital foods. So this idea of food karma is that you crave the very foods that you, you know, that that are yeah. on a frequency of what you feel and eating those feel, foods make you feel more of that. So it's such a vicious cycle of feeling stressed and tired and then eating fatty foods and then feeling stressed about your body and craving more sugar and fatty foods. And really the only way to rip ourselves out of this cycle and get to a place where we start craving healthier foods is to address our emotional state throughout the day because the happier we are, the healthier foods we tend to choose. Yeah, it's such a great, it's such a really important point. And it's, I, I see it all the time. I am a subject of it, I would say, uh, where it's totally throw the baby out with the bathwater. If, you know, if your mood is in the crapper and you got stuff going on, a lot of times how you nourish yourself, how you, you know, make those choices around what you eat, I think just follow suit. And um, yeah, yep. really, really interesting point because you also say, in the book that as we begin to uncover our negative thoughts and shift them, we realize that boundaries around food create body freedom, not food prison. Tell me more about that. I feel like the lower level, the more shallow level of food freedom is when people feel like, oh, I've got food freedom. I can eat whatever I want. Bring on the chips. Bring on, you know, the ice cream. That's freedom. And that diet is this kind of food prison to be on a diet. And the reality is, is that that type of food, um, that type of food freedom, the freedom to eat whatever you want, creates a body prison. And ultimately, if you don't feel like you have health and vitality, you, you don't have anything on the highest level. You know, your quality of life is directly related to the quality of your health. So the more enlightened, deeper concept of food freedom is that I can eat all of these foods, but I choose not to. I've created loving boundaries based on what my body's feedback system is, you know, to certain foods. And even though from the outside in, it may look like I am very disciplined and I'm, and there's so many foods that I don't eat. Ultimately, that level of food freedom gives me body freedom and it allows me to, the freedom to live life in a way that gives me deep meaning and happiness. And so when I think about ultimate food freedom, I think about that I am the most free when I have these loving boundaries. They support me. So instead of me feeling tortured by the fact that I, let's say, I have to be gluten-free or dairy-free, it's almost like it's it's comforting. So I go out to a restaurant. I know the answer is no. It's not a maybe. It's not what if I eat it today and work out tomorrow. It's just you know, I am dairy free. Therefore, I do not order the cheese on the salad. And and that is the more enlightened definition of food freedom. 
Yeah, you know, it's you know such a good point. I mean, there's the, we could talk about so much. Um, I, I want I want to let people know where they can get your book for sure. Feed your soul because. You know, the, the thing that I've run into when it, I mean, I, I think, I feel like I'm in a maze right now and I, I'm going to go this way with conversation. I'm going to, you know, there's just so many, so many offshoots of, of this topic that I could go uh, on. So we're going to have to have you on again so we can talk deeper about it because, you know, I have a patient who is on uh, a particular program where they count points and I was, uh, you know, I, she was in for a clinical condition and, 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 you know, I said, you know, it seems like from your markers and this was, you know, a, a said rate and also a, a highly sensitive C, uh, C reactive protein, you're, there was like an inflammation going on. And that was, what was interesting when we got down to, you know, diet that's foundational in what I do, it's, she's eating for points. She is not eating for nourishment and she was eating an incredible amount of inflammatory foods, especially for her. Um, but it was like, it fit into the point system. So she had her, her head wrapped around like, well, it was only two points, you know, like these little goldfish crackers. Well, they're only three points, but what, from my perspective, as you feed your cells, as you look at biochemistry, as you understand the mechanism of action of all these nutrients or the nutritionally valueless foods, you know, it all adds up and it ends up being cattywampus and it starts to, uh, you know, create more harm than good. Absolutely. I am, uh, you know, I do not like counting calories. I don't think that it creates for most people an energy around food that is loving and safe. I think it creates a fear-based energy and it really shuts off the body's intuition. It's like, oh, I have 200 extra points today. Let me eat. Well, am I hungry? Or yeah. I'm physically hungry because my body's requiring more nourishment today for whatever a myriad of reasons, but I'm going to not listen to that because my calorie counter has said I had enough. So it really tells the body, I don't trust you. And, you know, from a science perspective, we know that counting calories is not very accurate anyway. I hear you. I'm going to throw in this little, just this little piece, just to be a devil's advocate. And it's only, I'm going to frame it in a way because, you know, I understand. And it was probably like, what, half a decade ago or a decade ago, or it's like, you know, stop counting calories, stop counting calories. Um, I have some instances where people actually are quite informed. They eat very well, uh, but based on their desires, which of course, a lot of women, I live in Los Angeles, uh, they, their desire is to lose weight. And I actually asked them, I said, do you have any ideas how many calories? And I have to be careful because I certainly don't want, you know, I always want to understand first psychologically how people, you know, their relationship with food, um, because I think that, you know, you just, you, you can't, you can't, you have to understand that. Um, you have to understand how people relate to food in order to prescribe it, you know, as directed nutrition, as, as, as a, you know, targeted nutrition. Um, and I mean, just an example comes to my mind. Uh, this woman, she figured out when she was at work and she was a nurse, the 12 hour shifts, uh, kind of running around room to room, uh, her, her calories were, um, pretty much ideal for, you know, her BMI or what she wanted when she had her days off, uh, significant increase, um, still good food choices, just too much of it. And mm. so it, it, it's, it's just a piece of the metric, right? It's like, it's, it's okay to actually have that information. Um, and I've been, I've been asking some people just to, just, just so they know or have an awareness about, the caloric content, because I think there's a little bit of a place for it. 
Absolutely. I mean, I think that it's all about the energy you bring to not only dieting, but calorie counting or anything that we do. And for people who have no uh, real concept at all about how many calories and things, sometimes I will for just a few days tell them, put your food in so you have somewhat of a concept that, you know, uh, I was talking to my mother-in-law the other day and I was making cashew milk and one cup of cashews is about 900 calories and I don't drain my milk. And so I said, you know, if I drank all this milk, I would I would be drinking 900 calories worth of nuts. And the funny thing is, is that there's this famous cookie in Austin called the Henbit cookie and everyone, you know, goes to get this cookie and this cookie's 900 calories. So, you know, we know that from a, stamp, uh, a calorie standpoint, here you have someone trying to be healthy and they eat a cup of raw cashews, which is very easy to do if you're not consciously eating. And you might as well have eaten the, you know, the famous, amazing Henbit cookie. And so it yeah. is important to understand that too much of anything is too much. But once people have an overall understanding of calories and how it relates to their favorite foods, I think that's, you know, as far as we need to go with the, with that type yeah. of education. But yeah, absolutely. There's a place for that and there's a place for everything. That's why. I say, you know, there's a place for cleansing and there's a place for 10-day detoxes. And and if we neutralize the energy around them, just like we neutralize the word diet, then they all become just tools to help us get to where we need to be. All right. You have um, five non-negotiables of weight loss, health and vitality in the book. Can you talk about them? Oh, no. Now I have to remember them. <laughs> yes. So <laughs> what book? I wrote that over a year ago. No. Right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so the, the, the five non-negotiables, um, one is cooking your own food because restaurants, you know, I'll just go through them quickly because I feel that restaurants, their only job is to make the food taste good. And ultimately, if you want to be at the top peak of health, you need to shop for your own produce and your own high-quality meats if you eat meat and, and have your hands in the cooking. And the second is uh, exercise. Obviously, we need to move our bodies. The third is meditation. And a lot of people will say, you know, oh, I'm just not good for meditation. It's not, or, you know, it's not for me. Uh, my response is if you have a mind, then meditation is for you because we have to be able to separate from the mind. The um, fourth is silence. We all are so plugged into our phones and to social media and to our emails. Each one of us needs that time to go within and preferably have science being within nature. And the fifth element of self-care, the non-negotiable, is sleep. And so what you do in the bedroom, in the kitchen, and in the bathroom is ultimately going to dictate your health. And these self-care non-negotiables are not a should, but an absolute must if you want to be at peak condition. Oh, I almost see another title of a book there. The bedroom, the bathroom, and the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> what do they have so to do true. with each other? Yeah. Okay. One last question. What do you want, what do you want, what do you want my listeners to take away from uh, Feed Your Soul when they get your book? You know, I want listeners to have uh, to take away a self-compassion uh, and understanding why what they've done in the past hasn't worked and it's not because they're lazy or because they don't want it badly enough but once they read the book and they understand how the mind works and they're now armed with those mental tools they go oh now I know why 
you know, this journey, this weight loss journey or this health journey has taken me, you know, where it has and, and my failures are really actually successes now that I know how to look at them. And I'd also want them to take away the the understanding that it's mostly mind work, you know, the logistics of what to eat and when to eat and what macronutrients, you know, high protein, low protein, fat, that's like 10% of the, the game. The other 90% is mind work. And I want people to understand that everything that they're experiencing in their health begins in the mind. What what an amazing way to end the show here on Mindful Medicine. We're getting curious, way curious before critical on ourselves with Carly Pollock. You can find more about her at www. Uh, Carly, that's C-A-R-L-Y, Pollock, P-O-L-L-A-C-K.com. The book, once again, Feed Your Soul. Carly, thanks so much for your energy, your work, the way that you are available uh, and in your robust practice down there in Texas. Uh, so keep people safe and 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 have the perhaps ability, or I always call it the, um, they could afford the great, amazing cookie down there because they're minding uh, their, their, their non-food prison so well. I love it. I love it. All right. Thank you so much. You can email her at Carly at nutritionalwisdom.com. And once again, CarlyPollock.com. Feed your soul. Mindful listeners, again, thank you so much for uh, spending part of your day here. And um, I'll see you next time.